Luke chapter 8, verse 22. This is where we ended last week, chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. We studied it last week, but we had a bunch of other stories that were also taught, and I want to get a few more nuggets out of this particular story before we move into the next story. And so I'm going to read, and then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to preach, and we're going to let the Holy Spirit do his work in our hearts. Read verse 22 with me. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat, that is Jesus, with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. I have read verse 22 over and over dozens, maybe a hundred times, just trying to get in the boat with him, trying to get my mind there. Jesus has been teaching and healing and sharing And all of a sudden, he walks to the boat. He's leading. I just want you to see this. He's leading. The disciples are good to follow. Like, where's he going? He's getting in the boat. Maybe he's going to preach some more. That's right, another great sermon. Bible study, everyone, get your notepads out. He likes to go out in boats and preach. This is going to be legit. And Jesus gets in the boat, and he's like, everyone get in with me. Everyone get in with him. Everyone get your life jackets. Everyone get your stuff. Get your lunch bag. Everyone get your backpack. We're going for a trip. And Jesus says, we're going to the other side. And they begin to row. The other side, at this point where they're at to the point where they would go, was at least, if not more, five miles of water between them and the other side. Okay, this is like Immigrant Lake. There's no engines allowed, you know. There's just just rowers. And so these guys, they begin to row. When Jesus says we're rowing, you're like, that's probably going to give me a blister. But we'll do it. We'll do it. You know, you get in and you begin to follow the master the master of the ship, the commander of the ship. And he begins to then take you on this journey. Read with me. Let's see what happens next. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. On this lake, during those windstorms, even recorded to this day, there has been waves whipped up by the wind, 5, 10, 15 feet high on this freshwater lake, 13 miles wide or long, five, 6 miles or 7 miles uh, long or wide at its greatest point. And this thing gets crazy like a bathtub being sloshed around with toddlers in it or something like that. You can get the picture. And this happens to them. Now, a couple of things are going through your mind. What in the world are we doing out here? Where are we going? I don't know. Jesus said we're going to the other side. What? We should have stayed on the beach. Why did someone should have put their foot down and put their heels in? But instead, they're in too deep. Look what happens next. And they came to him, verse 24, and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And then he arose and, what? He rebuked the wind. And the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And but he said to them, He turns now, rebuking the wind and the waves. Now he rebukes them with a gentle question Where's your faith? These guys are like wet kittens in this boat, okay? These guys are upside down. Their oars are snapped in half. Their bail buckets are broken. There's water everywhere. They're not looking good. He's like, Where's your faith? I was wondering the same thing. You know, I don't know if we packed it. And Jesus asks him that question because I'll have you know something. He had been teaching them many things. And they, like good Bible students, were writing things down. And the Bible tells us what? That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They, he, he just asked them, where's your faith? Well, we, just, we just got a bunch, but it was inactivated as of yet. 
As a matter of fact, it was inactive. As a matter of fact, it would be known as passive faith. That is maybe theological prowess. I got it all figured out. It's all written down in my book. I got it on the shelf right here. I know exactly who God is. Well, have you experienced it in the deep? Have you experienced it in the waves? Not yet. We'll just hold on. Because any one of us right now are in one of three camps. We're either coming from a storm right now, we're either in the middle of a storm right now, or we're either heading right into a storm right now. Jesus invited these boys right after a Bible teaching. Hey, guys, let's go to the other side. Ooh, cool, sounds great. It might be a little bumpy on the way. It might be a little wet. You might even freak out, okay? I'm going to take a nap. Let me know when you can't handle it anymore. And these boys wake him up. Jesus asks them, there's two questions in verse 25. It's where we ended last week. Only two questions. One is, where's your faith? And that's the first question I'll ask you guys. Where's your faith? How, how is your faith? Faith, by the way, is not a pill you take. It's a muscle you work. It, it, it's the word of God given to you. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. It's the word of God given to you, exercised in your life. See, the Bible says faith comes by hearing the word of God. James says faith is seen in works, action. You can say you believe a whole bunch of stuff. You, as a matter of fact, are exercising faith right now in those chairs. I can stand here and say, I believe that chair would hold me. I believe that chair is equipped and designed to hold me. But until you sit down on your blessed assurance and allow that chair to hold you, you haven't really exercised faith. So too, you might say, I love God, and I believe he loves me. And I would ask you, has it been tested? Well, I don't really want it to be tested. Well, I guess it's going to be. And you might know the promises of God, and you might have theology all tidied up, and you might be a Bible scholar and read a book or two. And the Lord would say, right on. Let's go to the other side. Well, can't we just stay here and take in another Bible study? No. The teaching is over. It's now time for a test. And like a good teacher... Jesus throws pop quizzes occasionally. Remember high school when the teacher would come in midway through the semester, take out a blank piece of paper and pencil, pop quiz. And as a high school student, you think to yourself, have you even taught me anything yet? I don't know, you know, I don't know how to spell my name. High schoolers. Anyways, I, I got to keep reading. Two questions, verse 25. But he said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. His question to them and their question to him, where's your faith? And their question to him, who is he? What's really going on here? Those two questions will be our springboard for our Bible study today, and then we'll get into the next story in just a minute. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, though, for this time that we've set aside? Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would open up our hearts and minds to know you better. For I believe, Lord, that every man and every woman here has already gone through a storm in their life and wonders why. Maybe trying to process what in the world that was about. Or maybe there's somebody here today that's in the middle of a storm and they're tripping. It is financially, it's emotionally, it's spiritually, it's upside down, and they are wondering if they should have even gotten involved in this boat. Or maybe there's somebody here who's, yeah, it's pretty good right now, but they can see a cloud in the horizon. And you're going to take them, because you love them, across to the other side. And you're going to take them through a storm. Lord, I believe this is what you do. For without the storms, we won't have real fruit, real maturity, 
a real testimony. Just like in nature, trees actually don't grow well or right at all without some resistance. The root system doesn't develop properly unless there's some pressure from above. I wish it weren't true. I wish trees grew stronger the less wind they had, but it's not. So too in our lives, we won't grow stronger, better, more mature, more fruit producing without some gale force winds. And so we ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would equip our hearts and minds. Bless this time. I submit to you, Holy Spirit. May you order my thoughts and my words to your glory, to our growth. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. I'll tell you what. Matthew records this story just like this. Mark records this story just like this. Luke records this story just like this. John does not record this story, yet he did live this story. Luke and Mark were not in the boat. They were ones who would learn about the story later and write it down. John didn't write about it, but he lived through it. Three out of four gospel writers include this story. They're like, dude, when we write in our book of Jesus and his adventures with his boys, make sure this story gets in there. Why? For two reasons. Number one is because it did happen, okay? And it was crazy. This was a miracle of cray-cray proportion. Jesus had already commanded people who were dead to live. That was pretty intense. Jesus had commanded people who were crippled to be well. That's pretty crazy. He had given ears back and sight back and feeling back to those who had lost it all. Now, though, this particular miracle isn't just horizontal, if you would, in this way, but it's with nature itself. Can you imagine yelling at the winds and the waves? Quiet! Sorry about the babies in here. And, the, and, and it becomes quiet. As a matter of fact, in the Greek... The words he uses are be muzzled. And it's the same words he would use when dealing with demons directly. Some scholars believe that this particular windstorm that came out of nowhere wasn't found on AccuWeather.com was demonic in nature. That demons were trying to take Jesus out, sink him there in the middle of the sea. Yet the scriptures say that Jesus would die on a cross, not in the middle of the sea, so he had nothing to fear. Neither should the boys. Two reasons why they write this down. Number one, because it was crazy and it actually did happen and changed their lives, grew their faith. Second reason why I believe the gospel writers write this and record this, all of them except John, is because they know that on any other certain day, we ourselves can be find, find ourselves in a storm. It just says, on a certain day, Jesus got in the boat and said, let's launch to the other side. Not a lot of detail is given, but a storm comes out. Have you ever been going along your merry way and all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're in the middle of a storm emotionally, relationally, physically, financially? Has this ever happened to you where things just hit the wall fast? Because I believe God wants to prepare us in the way we react to the present storms, to the unforeseen storms. As a matter of fact, on Wednesday, we had a staff meeting. Pastors got together and prayed and taught, and, or not taught, we prayed and talked. That's a better word. We talked, a bunch of pastors teaching each other, you know. And afterwards, we went to lunch at La Roca. And I remember we ordered our food, and my chicken enchilada was being set down right in front of me. And as it was set down, my phone simultaneously rang. And I saw the number. I don't really answer my phone that often, but I knew this number needed to be answered. And so I answered it and began for the next hour a crisis counseling intervention phone call while my chicken enchiladas got ice cold. And the rest of the pastors enjoyed their meal and continued, and they one by one left, and somebody paid for it, and one guy, and I, for an hour. And I'll, my point is, is, I was ready to enjoy a chicken enchilada, you know what I'm saying? But instead, things were filling with water. A storm had arisen with a friend of mine, a friend of ours. And, and I hung up the phone and ate my 
cold enchiladas, and I proceeded then to go to Starbucks. Amen, amen. <laughs> but I had a, 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 a knot in my gut. I really did because of the storm. And it, it, the storm actually resolved real well. Praise God. I can't give you all the details. But, but, it, but it, was, it was a storm out of nowhere. I was like, ah, oh, this is crazy. This is crazy. The reason why these writers give us this story is because it did happen, and it was crazy. And in your life, storms come out of nowhere, and they wanted us to be prepared. What are you going to do? What are you going to th- What are you going to think? That was a nice effect. How, how are you going to respond when the storm comes your way? Utter confusion and chaos, hands flying up, what the world's going on. If you're a note taker, write down these four reasons why storms arise in your life. There are way more reasons than four, but I'll give you four for today. Why storms possibly come into your life. Why you might find yourself dealing with friction at any given time. Number one is direction. God will allow storms to arise, something to change your course, get your attention, divert your direction in order to get you somewhere where you were not going previously. Something will happen emotionally or physically even, and all of a sudden you were going here, and next thing you know, you're over here. What in the world was that about? Yet when you find yourself here, you realize this is where I should have been the whole time. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I don't like storms, okay? Did you guys like last night's storm, though? Did you guys enjoy it? Raise your hand if you enjoyed it. Thank you, my people, my people. My wife and I were sitting on opposite sides of the living room last night. I was studying, and she was reading, and occasionally the lights would flicker, you know, and we'd look up at each other. Oh, 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 you know, oh, here it goes, oh, oh. and there was an excitement about it, like, oh, what's this getting, you know, at one point last night, late at night, I had this hoop house that was flapping in the wind, making all this noise, and so I put on my jacket and my shoes, and I grabbed a steak knife and, my, and a flashlight, my wife's like, where are you going, you know, and I went outside, and I was cutting this thing, a storm, you know, things are getting battered, and, and when the lights were flickering, though, we were kind of excited, like, this is cool, here's why. Because when the power goes out where we live, it's out for like half an hour, 10 minutes, maybe an hour. You know, the PUD does a good job of getting things. We had no real danger. It was kind of exciting. But in real life, when storms happen, when you get the phone call and your enchiladas are getting cold, when you get the bank statement or the doctor calls you and leaves a message and you're looking at the voicemail, what in the... And and I want to be able to process the storms that come in my life and say, Lord, what are you doing? Maybe you're redirecting me. I, for one, don't like to be redirected. I like to get there, you know, linear and just kind of one step in front of the other. And the Lord says, no, I'm going to let some stuff happen in your life from time to time because you're so, so thick-headed and you won't go where I want you to go. And I'm going to allow storms. As a matter of fact, Paul, in the book of Acts, right around chapter 15 and 16, he's a church planter. He's planting churches. That's a good thing. He goes to Bithynia, Mysia, and Phrygia. I often think God shut the door on Phrygia because it had gotten cold in there, the Phrygio, Phrygia door. Thank you. Yes, yeah, good. It's good stuff. The door was shut. And so Paul, true story, Paul, he's depressed. I'm trying to plant churches here in Asia, modern-day Turkey. He goes to bed, and God gives him a vision of the Macedonian man. Come to our city and preach. Wakes up the next day, goes there, meets Lydia, meets the Philippian jailer, preaches to him. His whole household gets baptized, writes the church at Philippi, that book we now have, all kinds of stuff. And he went off course because God shut the door on his face thrice. Storms, they'll redirect you. They'll take you where God wants to get you. And you don't even have to raise your hand, but have you ever gotten where you didn't want to go, but God had his way and you got to where God wanted you to go? 
Yeah, it's called the long route, you know. It's, you know I'm taking, I'll take the scenic route here, you know. How'd you become a believer? Scenic route, you know. Whoa. Listen, here's another. Direction. God will use storms to direct you in your thick-headedness and your inability to listen. I'm just thankful for that. Here's another one. Perfection. God will allow storms in your life to perfect you, to make you more like him, more, more pure, more noble, more right. Storms will come in and they'll burn things away from your life that you're not willing to get rid of. As a matter of fact, in Daniel chapter 3, the three amigos, Shadrach and Benny, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're asked to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's 90-foot statue, and they say, no way, Jose, not doing it. And if we get burned in the process, that's fine, but God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't deliver us, we'll just become s'mores for Jesus, you know. <laughs> and you guys know what happens. They're tossed into the fiery furnace, stoked seven times hotter. And as they go in, what actually does burn? You guys remember? The ropes. Their ropes are burned off. Their robes do not burn. Their, their beards are intact. I'm sure they had beards. I'm po positive. Their ropes are burned. Two other things happen. Jesus appears with them, has a convo. How's it going here in Babylon? You guys are enjoying your stay? I got a plan. Don't worry about anything. Give you a little back rub. And go. He has fellowship with them. And the third thing, ropes are burned, fellowship with Jesus, and then a witness to the world. Nebuchadnezzar's watching. He's like, dude, they're not burning. Dude, how many did we put in there? Uh, three. I know, but there's four, bro. You know, and it freaks out. And when you go through storms, not only are you perfected, God uses it as a witness to other people. I'm going to say something. Most people, outsiders looking in, watching you, they're not impressed when you're blessed. Okay, they're impressed when you're stressed and blessings come out. When they see you going through it, when they see you thrown into hot water and Christians are kind of like tea bags. You don't really know what they're made of until they're tossed into hot water. God stokes it up and whoa, what comes out? And I would love to say that in my storms and in my hot water days, like good stuff always comes out. <laughs> Not so much. And the Lord says, cool, I'll, I'll give you a storm or two then. If you didn't pass the first storm that well, I'll give you another one. Why? To perfect you. God will direct you in your storms. He'll perfect you. He'll make you stronger. As a matter of fact, I do CrossFit, and I go to the CrossFit box here in town. When you do CrossFit, you walk in. The trainer there will take heavy weight and put it in front of you and say, now lift it until you puke for time. Go. And you, maybe you don't have to puke, but I, I like to puke. But you know, going as hard as I can. And then, and then you go back the next day and do it again. And people pay money to do this, you know. Why? To be perfected in a sport. In something, people go to college to, to learn to be perfected with, with schooling, with education and academia. People do things in order to grow. So too, God's like, I love you as a Christian. I love you so much. And I want you to grow. I want your roots down, fruits out. Here's a storm. What? And again, I, I like storms in my house when the hot chocolate's flowing, you know, and PUD's coming over and they're going to be fine. What about, what about G-O-D? What about God? When a storm goes in your life, are you okay? I got, I got this. There's a storm right now. God's going to perfect me. He's going to direct me. He's going to perfect me. What about correct me? You ever had a storm come in your life because of your dumb, dumb decisions? You ever done some stupid stuff and borne the fruit? And all of a sudden, this storm is there not just to perfect you and to direct you, but really to correct you. You're not hearing things right or obeying properly, and all of a sudden, you find yourself, you name it, fill in the blanks in a storm. Our friend Jonah models this the best. God tells Jonah, hey, I want the people of Nineveh to be saved. Can you go tell them? La, 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 pretend I didn't hear you. La, la, la. And he goes to Joppa there and buys a ticket, goes on a cruise. And God's like, okay, okay, I'll give you some swimming lessons, you know. Puts him in the water and the storm ceases. And Jonah there sinks to the deep. It's over for him, not so. 
God allowed that storm to get a hold of his heart to preserve his life, to correct him and use him. You guys know Jonah was swallowed by a whale, three days in the belly of a whale, and he repented and worshiped and asked God for forgiveness, and God granted it to him in the midst of his correction. That's good news. Did you guys know that when a whale is born, they're as big as a Volkswagen bug as a baby? And did you know that those babies, they're mammals, and they eat their mother's milk for many, many weeks and months, and every day gain 200 pounds of blubber? Okay, that's a pretty impressive gains program right there. Like, that's a lot of protein. And these guys get big, and they grow. And as they grow, a blue whale, the biggest animal in the known world, you could fit 100 men inside the mouth of a blue whale. Their tongue alone weighs the same amount as 36 full-grown men. Their hearts at full growth are as big as a small SUV, and you can take a basketball and float it through the arteries of a blue whale. I don't know why I'm saying all that, but it's awesome. So, <laughs> oh, I do know why. Because Jonah was in one. It was a big deal, you know. I'm sure he had like a condo, like two stories. Like, oh, come upstairs for a while. You know, he's all over the place in this correction. God will give you storms to correct you. And I'm humble enough to sit here and go, oh, yeah, most of my storms are probably corrective. Like, I'm just an idiot. I've you know, not done right my whole life and found myself paying for it in the process. And God says, by the way, I'm not done with you. I love you. I'm going to correct you. I want to bring your will into subjection to my will, and I want to use you. Jonah was used. He's one of the most powerful prophets to ever be used after his storm, and he taught one of the crappiest sermons ever, okay? <laughs> if I'm wrong, then show me. He walks to Nineveh afterwards, after his rebellion, and he tells them all, God's going to smoke you if you don't repent. He had no love, no compassion, and everyone's like, no way. Let's all repent. Everyone for repentance. You know, the whole place repents. He's like, what are you doing? He was so bummed they repented. Anyways, that being said, if you have in your life made mistakes or maybe will make a mistake and you find this storm, don't resist the storm. Don't reject it. Okay, get, get on mission. Go where God wants you to go. Be who God wants you to be. Walk in it. Here's the third, and that's the third. Here's the fourth reason, and there are many more. First one is direction, then perfection, then correction. This one's kind of fun. This one's more mysterious than ever before, but it's the storms of protection. God will allow things to go weird on you, right in front of you, because if you were allowed to proceed and to go according to your will, it would end in destruction. And so God allows things out of your control to end, to be compromised, to even be attacked and to fail in his sovereignty to in protect you from what the devil wants to do to you. We don't always see it that way, why this particular relationship fell apart or why that ministry didn't work. Well, maybe, maybe in God's sovereignty, you could say, maybe the Lord was protecting me. You don't need to raise your hand, but have you ever prayed for something, wanted something, and God stonewalled you and said no, and now a year or 10 later, you're like, thank you, thank you. Like, has the Lord protected you from things you thought you wanted? Lord, give me this. And the Lord's like, no. No, I love you too much. No. Here's the story. The Apostle Paul is on his way to Rome to be imprisoned. Ultimately, he would have his head cut off, but not according to this imprisonment. And on his way to Rome, he's on a ship with 276 other men. And a storm arises. And the ship is wrecked off the coastline of Malta. 
And they swim to shore, and God gives Paul divine words. You're going to be all right. No one's going to die. I know what I'm doing. Yet the storm was raging. The ship was sinking, and they swam to the shore of Malta. The Bible says in Acts 27, the natives treated them with kindness, made them a fire, and gave them some Malta meal, you know, and they enjoyed that together. True story. Read the book. You know, and they're enjoying that together. And, and then Paul is bit by a poisonous viper and throws it into the fire, and he lives miraculously and prays for the natives' president and all the cool stuff happens. Cool story. That's it. Then they get in a boat about two or three months later, and they continue their journey to Rome. When Paul gets to Rome, he's a little scared because the Jews... Non-believers, the Jews, those of the circumcision, the Jews were mad at Paul, wanted to kill him because he was a Jew who became a believer. So when he got to Rome, he went to the Jews and says, guys, don't kill me, don't kill me. And they said, we, why would we kill you? We don't want to kill you. And he said, well, don't be mad at me, don't be mad at me. And they said, we're not mad at you. Why would we be mad at you? And he said, don't be, don't be mean, don't be mean. We're not going to be mean. Who are you? And he said, well, I'm, I'm Paul, the apostle. And they said, oh, yeah, we've heard of you. We aren't mad at you. Why would we be mad at you? But we do have questions about Jesus. Would you let us come over to your house? And could you tell us about Jesus? And now here's why it's interesting. Because the Jews in Jerusalem had been trying to kill Paul for three years and had sent letters with Claudius, the Roman centurion, on this prison ship of 276 prisoners to Rome to give to the Jews to make sure that they finished the job and killed Paul. You know where those letters were? at the bottom of the sea with Davy Jones's locker. <laughs> when that boat went down, the Bible tells us that everything went down with it, minus people, all the everything, including, listen, the accusation against Paul. Had it not been for that storm, Lord, I'm going to Rome, kind of just want a linear path, just one step after another and no seasickness, and the Lord's like, nah, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be nuts. By the way, it says in the book of Acts chapter 27 that for 14 days they saw neither sun nor moon nor stars or eight. It's just crazy, these, these sailors. And on the 14th day, God spoke to Paul and said, hey, you're going to Rome. I told you that before. That was my word. Like the word to these boys, we're going to the other side. We're going over, not going under. And yet a storm happened in order to protect Paul. So what's God doing in your life? What kind of storms you got? Jesus asked these boys right then, where's your faith? Uh, I thought I had it earlier. I thought, you know, these are the apostles, not B-apostles. These are the guys. These are the disciples. These are the ones. They've been listening. They had journals full of theological intellect and knowledge and, and resources that they'd gained from Jesus. And now after a storm, Jesus is like, how's your faith doing? Evidently, it's pretty shaky. <laughs> and then they asked a question, who is this? That's a, that's a good question. Now, they had mentally confirmed that answer already. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Yet it took a storm or two. Listen, please, Christians. It took a storm or two for them to be able to settle in and say, this is Jesus Christ, the living God. To him belong the words of eternal life. And we have both come to believe and know that you are the Christ. That's what Peter would say in the book of John when Jesus asked him to leave. You want to leave? It's hard. Life's hard right now. Big, big, tough time. You don't have to stay here. And Peter said, no, we're staying through this storm too. Here's my point. These guys already knew who Jesus was. And yet Jesus asked them a question. How's your faith? Where is it? And they asked another question. Who are you? This is kind of scary. I think I know Jesus. You don't need to raise your hand, but do you, guys, do you think you know who Jesus is? You're here today. You're a note taker. You read the Bible. Yeah, I got it. Let me ask you another question. 
You think you could possibly go deeper with him? You think he's got more levels of understanding and intimacy, more accuracy, more connect? You think he's got more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, guess what? He does. But it's going to come at the price of a storm, real life. I, I wish I could just give you a, you know, a magic wand and say, oh, you know, read this book, you'll be fine. No, no. You read this book, faith comes by hearing the word of God, and then it's tested, and then it's grown. You're going to go through. I, when I go to the gym next, they're going to increase the weights for my benefit. Luke, we're getting stronger. We're going deeper. And Jesus is going to say the same to me in my Christianity and in your walk with him. He wants you to know him even better. That's what you came here to do. I want to learn about him more. I love hearing Pastor Luke talk about Jesus. I feel like I learned something. Take it in the boat with you, okay? Take it on the next journey. You're going to need it because things get crazy. Look what happens next. Verse 26. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out, I've got that circled. This is what he said he was going to do in the first place. We're going to the other side. It's kind of like a miracle in and of itself. We got there. How did we get here? We almost died. But did you die? No, we didn't die. We almost died. But, but did you die? No, we didn't. We got there. Cool. And Jesus steps out of the boat. Now he's at the opposite side of Galilee to the Gadareans. Just historically, just geographically, this is the opposite side of Galilee, the epicenter of Jesus' ministry. Okay? This would be the Gentile side. This would be the side of paganism, Greek culture. The Decapolis was here. Deca means 10. Apollos means cities. The 10 cities, the Gadareans, the Gadaras, all these areas were right there. This is where Gentile and Jew would live. This is so far back that when Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh settled there in the promised land, they said, can we stay on this side of the Jordan and not go all the way in? That's not advised. But if you want to, you can. You don't have to go all the way in with this whole God thing. And because of that, pagan idolatry and Greekism and craziness was now the scene here. Guess what Jesus does? Jesus goes right there. Jesus is on mission. He sails now with his boys to go to this region in order to minister to one man. Jesus left heaven to come minister to all, and he left Capernaum to go minister to one. I just need you to see that. Jesus is the master missionary. He is always on mission. Hey, boys, let's go to the other side. Uh, you just messing with us? Yeah, kind of. But I also got a reason. I got somebody I need to talk to. He is way, way out there. He's in the region of the Gadareans, and this is what it says next. And when he stepped out, verse 27, on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs that is amongst the dead. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and while he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Stop right there, eyes up here. What in the world? Now, first of all, if you're with Jesus, you're the disciples, you're like, what's, what's going on over there in the Gadarean area? And Jesus is like, just keep your life jacket on. He'll be all right. And he gets to the shore, and this demonized guy comes running after him, nakedly, crazily, bloodily, just nastily, and he's been by himself for many years, and he has been oppressed and possessed, and this guy cannot be shackled or bound, helped by the world. Rehabilitation didn't work. What he needs is reformation through regeneration. And Jesus, I'm gonna go get this guy. This guy needs me. 
And Jesus goes into this area and asks him, or should I say the conversation started with this man, what have we to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Which, by the way, the disciples just asked themselves under their breaths, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? And now the demon comes running out. It's the son of God. And I wonder if Peter and Andrew start elbowing each other. I told you, son of God. I told you. Now we had to learn from a demon guy. Like, gosh, we look so stupid. I would say a few things. His Christology is correct, this demon. He actually has proper Christology. All demons do. All demons know the truth. Okay? They do believe in God. His understanding of who God is is true. Listen, though. His understanding of what God does is not true. He asks Jesus, don't torment us. And a lot of people who aren't Christians aren't Christians because they believe becoming a Christian would be tormenting. Why would I give my life to God? That doesn't sound like fun. Why would I read my Bible? Why would I go to church? Why would I get saved? Why would I do any of that? That sounds horrible. That's a demonic perspective, by the way. See, you, you who are here who know God, you're like, dude, I know what I was like apart from God. That there's horrible. And I'll just raise my hand for you. Apart from Jesus Christ, my life and, my, and who I was was horrible. Absolutely chaotic, embarrassing, demonic, and wrong. And my life with God is the exact opposite. I'm, I'm not lying to you. It's amazing. This demon, though, knew who God was, but was distorting what God does. Careful of that. If you're a Christian here, make sure you got the truth. God saves people. He heals people. He delivers people. He gives you a purpose and a hope. Restoration. Now, because demons come up in the story, we got to talk about it real quickly. I'm not a demon hunter. I'm not a demonologist. I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't have a PhD in demon thinking. But there is a truth that demons exist. And on either side, there are two roads, one of neglect and one of excess. The truth is demons exist. There's an enemy of our soul, an adversary. There's a destroyer. There's a deceiver. Well, there's a couple names I'll give you in a minute. There are demons. They are real. They are alive. One ditch, though, wants to excessively think about demons and make everything supernatural and over-spiritualize everything. And you come into a room and you instantly begin to rebuke the corners of the room. You know, the demon's hiding out and a light flickers and you rebuke the demon of darkness, you know. And you, you, you've met those people in those churches where everything's spiritual, everything at all. You lose your job. What's the demon of bankruptcy, you know? And you go again. Then there's the other ditch where people say, I don't believe in demons at all. I just, I don't, I don't think that's a problem. I just think that you're overreacting, that there are, are no demonic forces in the world. It's made up. And what I would say to that camp, shame on you. Have you considered the amount of pain and evil and darkness in the world? Only the things that make the news we, we see and make our stomachs turn. You ever read a news story where you just stop and just say, no. The, the pain someone has gone through, the abuse, the chaos. It, 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 the demonic realm is real. The darkness, the evil, the satanic influence just, just look around, okay? We live in a very sanitized culture. We like everything to be happy and clappy and rainbows. I love it too, I love it. Demons are real, okay? So, so the group over here who doesn't want to think about it or talk about it, the greatest lie that the devil has ever told is that he does not exist. It's the greatest lie ever told. If I can just get them to not think about me in any given time, well, that'll give me greater access. Now, this side over here wants to excess and, and abuse the demonology and everything. Listen, find the road, find the road. Jesus found the road on a boat. He found the way to this man, and he was able to cast out this demon. Here's what I would tell you who are Christians, who believe in the road. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. 
There is no person so far gone that God cannot deliver them and rescue them and restore them. That's what this story is all about. No matter how far, how backwards, how messed up, or how gross the situation is, Jesus can get that person out of both ditches onto the road. And you as a believer need to have that confidence that greater is he who's in you, that's the Holy Spirit, than he who's in this chaotic world. You shouldn't be intimidated or fearful. You shouldn't be small and weak against the demons. You're great. The demons shudder at your presence if you're filled with God by salvation. If you kneel in prayer, if you walk in the Spirit, Okay? You have direct access to God Almighty, and you can ask God to cast down arguments and take thoughts into captivity, the obedience of Jesus. You're a winner, more than a conqueror. Just find that road. Walk victoriously. Jesus models that here. Humanity couldn't help this guy. Rehab didn't work. Isolation, medication, nothing helped this guy. He needed regeneration, which is a spirit born again, which would lead to then reformation. First step, put your clothes back on, bro. That's this guy. This is what sin does to you, by the way. Look at verse 29. It said he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. It had often seized him. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, broke the bonds, and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. This guy, that he's tormented. He's a real man with a lot of demons. As a matter of fact, he's going to answer his own question in a minute. He says his name is Legion, which is a Roman term of over 6,000, sometimes 7,000 warriors for Rome, a legion, a band. That, that was this demon's heart towards this man. We are going to rule you with an iron fist and destroy you. That, that's how this demon looked at this man. And again, the, the demon perverted the man to say, don't torment us. <laughs> You've been tormenting this man long enough, isolated, in shackles, alone, Naked, And Jesus looked at that and said, the torment is coming from you, demon. Your days are numbered. Look at verse 30. I believe Jesus is speaking to the man, not the demon, but the demon takes over. Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? And he said, legion, because, we are many, because many demons had entered him. Again, I believe that Jesus was befriending this man, was actually not caring about the demons. I don't want to know your name. But he wanted to know this man. And here's the problem with sin demonic activity, evil, is that eventually it will take over who you are and it will put you in bondage and it will determine your identity, which determines your activity. And then when people ask your name, you too will say, I'm legion. I am what I do. I'm, I'm sin. I am evil. And that's the problem with sin is it will bind you. It'll blind you. It'll grind you, take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you're willing to pay every single time. Jesus asked this dude, what's your name? The demon climbs over, or legion, or whatever. Jesus does something crazy. Verse 31. And they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. Interesting. These demons in this man say, hey, don't, don't do away with us right now. The abyss is also known as hell. It's also known as Hades. It's also known as Gehenna. It is the original created space by God himself for rebel angels. It's the original place. The rebel angels, those who followed Lucifer in the great rebellion before mankind existed, there was a place created for them called the abyss, where the book of Revelation tells us one day they will go. These demons know, don't send us there yet. Not now. We know where we're going one day. It's over for us. Hell. I say that to say this. Hell was never intended for humans. 
Adam and Eve in there? Can never. And yet hell, the abyss, Abuso, Hades, Gehenna, was intended for rebels, people who say no to God, people who reject God as God, and who then put themselves as God of their own lives. That is the place of eternal torment and damnation and separation from God himself. Those who would rebel, that is the angels who will not repent, and any other human created that would say no to God. The only sin that remains unforgivable in the whole universe, okay, all of the sins, is saying no to God. The only sin that will keep you out of heaven and take you directly to hell. But if you submit your sin to God, your mistakes, your failures, your issues, your weakness, your evil, your demonic, if you, just, if you submit that to the Lord and say, would you please forgive me? <laughs> yeah, that's what I died for. I've, I've loved you from the beginning to the end. I, I did all this for you. I do not want anybody to go to hell. If you go to hell, you're gonna have to step over my dead body. And you will have to do that. You will have to say no to Jesus' dead body that is now alive. You'll have to say no to him. The gift of the Holy Spirit was given to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. The only unforgivable sin is the unpardonable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Say no to what he is doing to you right now. Just get forgiven, dude. Get, get, get forgiven, gal. Just do it right now. Don't, don't, don't face God based on your own efforts. And if you decide to trust Jesus for forgiveness, you won't go to the abyss. This demon knows where his days are going to end. And he begs Jesus, don't send us to the abyss. Interesting story. Look at this. Now a herd of many swine was feeding here, there on the mountain. And so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. Now all the animal rights conservative people are thinking, what in the world's going on? What about all the BLTs, man? You know. Or actually, the animal rights wouldn't be saying that. But anyways, the, the, the food connoisseurs. What about the ham and eggs, you know? Here, here's the deal. In that region, pigs then, and even now, are considered unclean, okay? For a Jew to be around a pig, that's why the pigs were there up in the cemetery, because that was also an unclean place. And yet there was great money to be made, and so they had this compromise within their system. And so when Jesus allows these demons to go into those pigs and they jump off there into the sea, he's kind of killing two pigs with one stone, if you would. He's helping this man, okay? In the book of Matthew says there's actually two demons, okay? Two, two demoniacs, two, two guys. He's helping these men. And he's also kind of ridding the area of this paganism and this idolatry and this uncleanness. I could talk about the value of humans, and I got some statistics. I don't have time. But, but Jesus, what he's doing for these two men far outweighs the sacrifice that was had by these pigs that are not made in God's image. Pigs are nasty, aren't they? I mean, is there any better taste than bacon? Let's be honest. Like, it's just a weird quandary. I just don't know what to do. But pig, pigs are nasty. And here we see them running off, 2,000 of them in number, 6,000 demons. This must have been crazy, man, jumping into the, the sea here. And if you look at a map of the Sea of Galilee, or if you're fortunate enough to go there, I've been there twice, there is no area in the Sea of Galilee where there's actually cliffs that you can jump into the water around the entire Sea of Galilee. It's all beaches going in and rocks. There's no cliffs at all except in the area of the Gadareans right here where the Bible said it happened. There actually is indeed cliffs, and there are archaeological sites where churches were planted there by this demoniac guy on this side where the, the pigs jumped off there into the water, which as I was reading this, it reminded me 
Back in 2009, remember 2009 when uh, H1N1 was going around, people were getting that cold, and my wife and I, our family got H1N1, man, we almost died, and, and here we see in the scriptures there, it's got a technological term, H1N1, but we also know it as swine flu, and, and here is the first record of swine flu. Yeah? No? You guys, ha- you guys t- that was better than the, the nine. Man, the nine were looking for tomatoes, man. They weren't having it. But yeah, swine flu, swine flu, right? And, if, and it may not be accurate. It may not be. But for sure, for sure we know this is where we get deviled ham right here. <laughs> deviled ham. I mean, for sure. There's no stretch there at all. Deviled ham all the way. Oh, man. I'm sorry, not sorry. I got to have a little fun up here too, you know. <laughs> Look what happens next. This is crazy. Again, this is so fun. Go, go to lunch today. Get some ham. It's okay. And just think about Jesus, master of this little area, this demoniac, demoniac guy, rah, freaking out, man, scaring little kids, and rah, life gone nuts. The disciples are like, we're just going to be in the boat. It's a little wet stuff. We're going to be in the boat. You know, pigs jumping off. And Jesus heals this man. And the reaction is incredible. Verse 33, then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. And when those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. These guys saw this man delivered, but they also saw the chaos that ensued, their livelihood. These are the pig farmers. You know, this would be like if the Lord did a miracle here on a car lot and 2,000 cars got you know, thrown into the sea, like, ah, you know, kind of a big loss, you know, for the people, and we've got to figure this out. Verse 35, well, then they went out to see what happened, and they came to Jesus, uh-oh, and they found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They get back and like, where's the demonized guy? And they're like, he's right here. That guy? That's, he's got his notepad out and he's taking notes. He's a Bible college student now. His hair is combed. He's, he's, he's wearing clothes. He, he's helping out in the church. He's a deacon. He's helping out. And we've seen this in this church and maybe in your own life where you were way out there. And God got a hold of your heart, delivered you. And now you find yourself, oddly enough, I learned from Jesus. I'm sitting clothed and in my right mind. I, could, I can't even believe it. I lived such a dark life, and, and Jesus saved me. And now, now my life has purpose and meaning. And this church is full, beginning with this guy, of people who have lived in the darkness, in shackles and in bondage, and have been delivered, and now sit at the feet of Jesus, and am rightly clothed, hopefully, and, and sitting in my right mind with Jesus. Interesting what happens next, though. Then the whole multitude, verse 37, surrounding the region of the Gadareans, asked him, that's Jesus, to depart. For they were seized with great fear. What? This just, ah. Oh. And he got into the boat and returned. Can you imagine? This could have gone a couple different ways. They could have came back. No way. This guy shouldn't be sitting here clothed in his right mind. We've tried everything. And you just delivered him? Would you, you know what? I've got a friend who really could use the same I've got some, could you come to Gadara? Could you come over? Instead, they say, you know what? This is freaky. This is crazy. We don't know what's really going on here. We just want you to leave. We don't want you here, even though this is what happened. Reminds me of our present society that doesn't want anything to do 
with Jesus. As a matter of fact, you can go to public school system and Bibles and prayer are banned. But they're going to pass out condoms to everyone who will take one. They're going to teach sex ed to elementary students minus any kind of spiritual understanding or emotional reality. And you can say, well, what about, can we put Jesus in there? No, are you kidding me? But, but we'll teach evolution as fact instead of a working theory, godless origin. We'll teach all of this chaotic stuff, and then we see the fruit in our world going nuttier and nuttier and weirder as the societies and the rulers that be say, you know what, can, can you just keep Jesus out of here? Can you? But have you seen what he does? Have you seen the lives that he changes? Outside of any other miracle, Jesus just changes lives, restores hearts, and yet they would rather have Jesus leave. The part that scares me is that Jesus gets into the boat and returns. So far, Jesus has answered two wishes. The demons said, can we go into the pigs? Sure. The people say, would you leave this place? Jesus says, sure. Jesus is going to get asked one more request, and he's going to say, no. He's going to put his foot down. The request doesn't come from the demons. It doesn't come from the people. It comes from his new friend, this demoniac guy, the guy he had just saved. He actually only says no to one guy, to the guy who asks him to go with him. To the other people, he answers their prayers and says, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave. Yeah, you can go into the pigs. But to the guy who he has a purpose for, he says, no, I got something for you. Look at what happens next, and we're done. It says, now the man, verse 38, from whom the demons had departed, begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your own house, and you tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Did you know this is the very first missionary commissioned by Jesus Christ himself? A demoniac has been. He could have taken him with him. And there is a temptation for you Christians here. I just want to get closer to the church and to Jesus and to others. And I want to be a part of the us four, no more Bible bubble, holy huddle, bar the door, you know, kind of. And the Lord would say, no. No. I want you to go to your own hometown. And I want you to share and serve there. God has changed your life. And there are people who will never come to South Beach Church. Never. And they need to see the changes in your walk in how you live, in what you do, in who you are. I, I'm, I'm honest. We're a very small church. We're a very simple church. We don't have a lot going on, okay? Some of you might have tried out for, you know, the worship team or something. I want to get on stage or I want to do have a part in here. And, I wanna, and the Lord said, no. No, I want you to serve out there. There are so many more people out there that need to know about the wonderful work that God has done in your life. And you go share, and you go shine. And you, I mean, Jesus had just taught a message on taking a light and putting it on a lampstand for all to see, for bearing good fruit. He just taught a whole message on that. And now this guy's like, can I come with you? I notice you have 12 rowers. I'll be the 13th. I'll row harder than anybody. I'm kind of crazy, you know. And, and Jesus said, no, 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 no. We're good. Love you. You go share, and you go tell what I've done. Oh, man. There are so many stories in this room of how the Lord has delivered you and touched you and changed you and set you free. And God has asked you and I to be witnesses. To be a witness, by the way, is very easy. And if you go to the court and you're a witness and you are put on the stand, they will make you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And they might say, so I'll be God. I don't know if they took that out yet or not, but they don't want to know your opinions. 
don't have time for it. They don't want to know your thoughts or what you think. Tell us exactly what happened. It's so fun to be a witness. All you got to do is say, I saw, and I received, and I am. Deal with it. Some of you guys are worried about being a witness. Well, I don't know if I have enough to share. I don't, I don't know Greeks yet, and I don't know Hebrews yet, and haven't read Ezekiel's yet, and I can't share with people yet. What do you know? Well, I know I was empty. Whew, now I'm, just, I'm full. It's weird. I know I was depressed, and now I've got answers. I know I was suicidal, and God's taken that from me. I know I had nothing to... I, that's what you're a witness. You can share what God has done in your life. And God would say, let's do it. Let's do it. But what if a storm happens? Even better. As the storms rage around in your life, God will do in you what only a storm can do. It will direct you and protect you, correct you, and perfect you. God has so much in store for all of us. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Lead us in response as we take communion, as we worship, as we repent. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm serious. You're a bystander. You're just checking in. I appreciate you being here. I'm, I'm thankful you're here. You're welcome here, more than welcome. But I need you to understand the devil has no good intention for you whatsoever, not even a little. He only wants to seek to steal, kill, and destroy. He's got a number of names in the Bible. None of them are good. He's the destroyer, the deceiver, father of lies, the accuser. The Bible says he's adversary of our soul. He's the enemy of all things good. And if you're here and you're not living for Jesus yet or, or acknowledging that Jesus is the way, if you haven't done that yet, the devil doesn't want you to. And the devil wants nothing good for you. And I would encourage you to, like this man, run to Jesus and say, would you, don't torment me. And Jesus would say, I'm, I'm not going to torment you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to heal you, set you free. And if you're not a Christian here today, and you would want to become one and just say, yeah, Lord, set me free. I don't want to work for the devil. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want my storms to be pointless. I want my life to count. Would you right now to Jesus from your heart of hearts, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand right now to his if you want to become a believer here. I'm not looking. It's between you and him. And in Jesus' name, just raise your hand right now. Say, yeah, I surrender. Jesus, I don't want to go to the abyss either. I don't want to go. I want to be forgiven. Please forgive me. I'm not perfect. I don't even, I have questions too. And just raise your hand and he'll begin to answer those questions. Right now, raise your hand. Do it. Lord, you see those who've raised their hands who need that confirmation in their heart that you love them that their sins are forgiven, that they won't go to the abyss, Lord. They will go to be with you. Their lives do count, Lord. In Jesus' name, raise your hand. Keep it up there. Have mercy, Lord. Save souls right now. You can put your hands down. Lord, for the, for the rest of us here that are either in a storm or coming out of one or going into one, would you, would you take our lives, Lord, and do what you want to do? Grow faith in us. Where's your faith? It's going to come. It'll show up. It'll grow. There'll be some gains. It'll happen. And for those of you who are still wondering that question, who are you, Lord? May, may Lord, you reveal that deeper to the believers who are walking with you. As we come to the table, we know that you're the sacrifice, the lamb, the, the savior of the world. We take this time of communion now, the broken body, the spilled blood of Jesus. You said, do this often in remembrance of me. A new covenant, a promise poured out in my blood. 
we trust you, Lord, for what you've done for us. And we do this examining ourselves, proclaiming your death until you return. In Jesus' name we pray.